Okay, so today's daf is Samchei in Masachet Sachim. Bezrat Hashem finishing uh, the fifth parak today, and we are on Savach Dalad Amud Bet. We are nine lines from the bottom of the Amud. We're still discussing the process, the procedure of the offering of the uh, Korban Pesach, and we learned that there were two, there were assembly lines set up of gold row and silver row. Uh, Kelim that were going back and forth from the point where the Shechita was done of each Korban Pesach to the Mizbeach, so that way they would cut down the amount of time. Kohanim didn't have to run back and forth, they would just pass it down, pass it back, and it said he would hand the full one. So as each Kohen received the full one, he would hand it over, and then he would receive the empty one from the person next to him to send it back for the next Korban. So it said, Kibel et but he never did the opposite. He would never first hand the empty one on to the next person and then take the full one. He didn't do that. He specifically would pass the full one, take the full one, uh, before he would, uh, before he would return the empty one. He, he would do it in that order, receiving the full one from the person who was closer to the, to the Shechita before he would pass the empty one to the person who was, uh, who was uh, closer to the Shechita, basically. Because, in other words, the person who's handing him the, the one with blood, he has to hand to that person one that is empty coming from the other side. But he would always take the one that was full first. Why? It says, Because we don't want to pass over a mitzvah. Since the blood that's already in the container, it's part, the mitzvah is already ongoing. The, blood, the, the mitzvah of Holacha and Zrikat Adam is already ongoing. Whereas passing back the empty cup is for a mitzvah that didn't start yet. Because Korban Pesach didn't start yet. So the, but when he's receiving the blood that's already in the cup, in his hand to pass to the next person, that mitzvah is already going. So that one, mitzvot. You don't want him to pass over that mitzvah in order to hand an empty cup back for the next mitzvah. So he has to pass the mitzvah on to facilitate that. And this is the Kohen that's next to the mitzvah is the one who is going to drop it on the uh, on the uh, on the mitzvah itself as it said above uh, when it reaches in other words when it reaches the Kohen that's closest so the Kohen that is closest is going to have to actually pour it onto the mitzvah and there it said that uh, that he has to do his rikah right? Yeah, so where is that there? Yeah, so this is somewhat of a dispute, right? Whether there's a Zrikah, Zrikat Adam for Korban Pesach or just Shfichat Adam, right? That's what the Gemara is going to talk about, whether there was actually a Zrikat Adam. Mantana Pesach Bizrikah, who is the one who says you have to throw the blood? It doesn't actually say what kind of Avodah exactly to do with the blood of the Korban Pesach. It never explains that. So the, uh, the assumption is... That the uh, that you know ch- typically it'll say Typically, we'll say you throw the blood, you you apply the blood, or w- with the finger. When it comes to korban chatat, it's put put on with the finger. It's applied directly. Uh, here, it doesn't say anything about how to uh, c- conduct the korban, the sacrifice itself. In other words, it doesn't explain what to do with the blood. And so the uh, there the, as we're going to see later on in the masechet, there's a discussion about exactly what the procedure was supposed to be. But here it's it's said in our mission that there's a throwing of the blood on the Mizbech. So, this is Rabbi Yossi uh, from the Galil, Rabbi Yossi Aglili. Rabbi Yossi Aglili Omer, et damam tizok ala Mizbech ved chilbam taktir. So this is actually not talking about the Korban Pesach, but it's actually speaking in the context of the uh, of a Bechor. It's talking about a firstborn animal that's brought as a Korban. And there it talks about throwing the blood of the Korban on the Mizbech, 
and then burning the fat. So throwing, in other words, there's two different ways you can put the, the blood on the, there's three different ways. One is you can throw it from a vessel, you throw it on, like that's the way that most of the korbanot are done. Then there's the application of blood with the finger, which is only done with the korban chatat. And then there's something called shvicha, which is that you just pour it on the base of the altar. There's no actual throwing, it's just a pouring from close up. So he's saying zrika, it says explicitly by the bechor, by the firstborn animals that are brought as korbanot, there's zrika. So it says lo nemar el adam, it doesn't say damo, damo lo nemar el damam. It says it in the plural, chilbo lo nemar el chilbam. Again, in the plural, it says chilbam, their fat. Limed al bechor umaser pesach shetunim matan damim veimurin gabe mizbeach. You see from that that they require. Uh, the application of blood and also the uh, placement of the fats and innards and so on on the Mizbeach and the reason why they that's in other words the fact that it's said in the plural implies that not just the Bechor but other Korbanot that are in the same class because the Bechor and the Pesach and Maser if you look in the Mishnah Bechor and Pesach and Maser are in one category they're in one class of Korbanot and therefore since the Bechor we see has to have its blood thrown on the Mizbeach and has to have its inner uh, parts, its fats burnt on the Mizbeach, even though it doesn't explicitly say that by the Maser Korban and it doesn't explicitly say that by the Pesach, we assume that the fact that it's written in the plural means to say that it includes everything that's in that class, that's in that group of Korbanot. And how do we know it has to be by the base of the altar. Now, the base of the altar didn't extend all the way around the Mizbech. The base of the altar, uh, there, it, it was, there was ba- a base to the, uh, to most, to every side, but, on uh, on two of the sides in the uh, in the eastern on the eastern side and on the southern side most of it did not have base only one ama on those sides and then the north side and the west side had a full base on the bottom that you would pour out so how do you know that it has to that the blood has to be applied by the in in a place where there is a base to the altar am rabbi elazar we learned it from the korban because it says here with regard to the bechor and we're saying by extension the maser on the pesach that you have to throw the blood and it says over there uh, it speaks when it speaks about the uh, the throwing of blood it says that they have to throw the blood so it, when it's talking over there by the olam it says that they had to throw it onto the blood. They had to throw the blood onto the mizbeach. Ma olatuna yisod af pesach ramito on yisod. In other words, they're making it. They're saying because it says zrika by the uh, by the korban maser and the korban uh, pesach and korban uh, bechor. So it says the word zrika and it says the word zrika by the olam and the olam has to be. You have to throw the blood at a part of the altar that has the base on the bottom. You can't do it on the part that doesn't have a base on the bottom. And so, and how do we know that? So it says, so first of all, we have the Gzerah Shava that Zrika is connected to each other. So just like the throwing of the blood of the Ola has to be over a part that has the, the base, so too with Pesach and Maser and, uh, and, and Bechor. But now it asks again, it says, um, how do we know from the that the Ola has to be the blood has to be thrown at a place that there's a, a base? Now that pasuk is not actually talking about the uh, it's talking about a chatat actually, but it says you pour the blood on the 
base of the Mizbach Haola, the base of the burnt offering altar. Why does it call it El Yisod Mizbach Haola? Why is it called the burnt offering altar? That's not the only thing that you put on the altar. You put every Korban on the altar. Why is it called Mizbach Haola? To tell you that the Yisod, the, the, the base is associated with the Korban Ola. Alma Ola Tuna Yisod. In other words, it's the fact that it calls it the base of the altar of the Ola shows you that the base of the altar is related to the Ola, that it has to be thrown in a part of the altar where there is base present, which would mean that it can't be thrown on the sides of the altar, let's say the eastern side and the southern side, where mostly there is no base, only a little bit of an aman one side and aman the other side, but mostly not. It has to be thrown on, uh, towards a part of the Mizbech where there is a uh, base. So the, uh, and, and just like the Olah, so to the Pesach. And that's according to Rabbi Yosek Lili, but we're going to see later on in the Gemara that there are some that say that there is no Zerika for the Korban Pesach. Now, Yatztak, Kat etc. So Tana, it says in the Brayta as follows, He Nikret Kat Atzlan, talking about the third one. The third group is called the lazy group. I mean, we said that you have to have three groups, right? Because it says, after three groups. So why are, you, why are you insulting a third group? You're calling them lazy. Why? You have to have three groups. So it says, no, because, so, so the thing is, ma what, what could they do? I mean, there have to be three groups, so why are you complaining? So it says, Even so, they should have tried to be in one of the first two groups. In other words, it's true that you have to have three groups, but if you're in the last group, it shows you were the last guy to get there, you know, so it's, that still says something. You're not, you weren't on top of things. It's impossible for the world to not have perfume and to not have bursi as a tannery. These are the most, that's like the most wonderful, beautiful job and the most disgusting job because a tannery where they make the, they, they do ibud orot and they work on the thing, it smells terrible. But the perfumery is the most wonderful smelling place. You know, you could work in one of those places in the mall where they have the smell, good smelling candles. You walk by, it smells so good. Or you could work in the tannery. You need both of those jobs. You need the bad job, you need the good job. You need a garbage man and you also need a florist, okay? Let's say in our terms, right? But at the same, but that doesn't mean, so even though you need both of them, but ashway me, she bosim. But we still say the guy who works in the place that smells good is a lot luckier than the guy who works in the place that smells bad. In other words, if you want to have a good... It's saying, look, you need garbage men in the world, but nobody's going to say I'm really... Well, maybe most people wouldn't say, well, I'm really proud. My aspiration in life is I want to be able to be uh, a garbage man. Maybe, yeah. Well, in Staten Island, it probably smells better than the rest of the... Uh, uh, than the rest of the place. But we're talking about, a, you know, but in, a, uh, in, in a, a typical situation, you know, unless you're in the, I guess some of them, if you're doing it as a, under the mafia, so then you're, you're doing really well. <laughs> but, le, but in a typical situation, a person aspires to be in a pleasant job. So it's saying, even though you need these jobs that are pleasant to unpleasant, it's better to be in a pleasant And you need men and women, but but we still say it's better to have boys and girls. Now, I think that that's, you know, that's probably referring to the fact that when you had girls, it was a lot of stress, you know, to get them married off. I think that's what Mfashim mostly say. You know, it's not saying that girls are bad. It's saying that when you have girls, you have to worry about finding them husbands and you have to worry about paying dowries and all of this stuff that goes into having girls in the old times, especially. 
Now, and whereas the the boys, they would work with the father. They would be they usually the girls. Then you married them off. They don't even stay part of the family. They sort of would go to the family they married into in those days. And now, you know, the boys would be you know inheriting the business of the father, working with the father, and supporting him when he got older, and all of that. So it was seen as much more of a zechut. But of course, you need boys and girls, right? So it's saying just because you need three groups, the analogy is just because you need three groups to make the korban pesach doesn't mean that the people who showed up third are just as good as the people who showed up first. The people who showed up first were the most on top of things. You know, you could still say that the number one is better. It's like, just because somebody has to come in third place in the race doesn't mean it's as good as first place. You know, anyway, you need, but you need, you need someone to come in third place too. Now, Kemaseo Bechol, it said just like they do it on the weekday, they do it on Shabbat, except on Shabbat they would also clean the floor. Now, the thing was, there was a channel of water that was going through the Bet HaMikdash that they would let the blood spill into it and it would be carried out through this channel into the, uh, into the, uh, you know, outside and then it would go into, uh, a, a, it would flow into a river outside of the, of the Bet HaMikdash, as we've learned before. Without being allowed? No, it was a, it, it, that's what would happen. In other words, whatever the it was like a drain, uh, it was like a drain channel that would. They were allowed. To. Yeah, they were allowed to, but that wasn't the thing they weren't allowed to do. I was just explaining what they did. So what they did was that they plugged it up, right? They, they would plug it up so that first of all the blood wouldn't run out, and also so that the water would overflow. And since the water would overflow, it would clean out the entire uh, floor, and then it would flow back into that channel, and then they would open it, and then it would come out, it would, it would run out. In other words, that was how they, they allowed it, the water to overflow, clean the floor, and then, the, and then carry the uh, blood and the dirty water out of the uh, Beit HaMikdash. I don't really know, but it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was no, it was, it was, I think it was natural, it was natural, the channel. Why, why can't you have that? There could be, it could either be, a, maybe it was, maybe it was a Mayan, or maybe it was, I don't know how, where it came from, but they had it, so that obviously was possible. Yeah, but it says, so it says, what does it mean, man? who was the one who objected to cleaning the floor? When it was Shabbat, they objected, not when it was weekday. Weekday, they were okay with that. When it was Shabbat, they didn't like it. It was against Rabbi Eliezer. Why? The rabbis would say that's only a rabbinical prohibition to clean the floor. And there's no issue of doing rabbinical prohibitions in the Beit HaMikdash. Meaning that the cleaning of the floor, the concern was that you would flatten the floor, you would improve the floor somehow, you'd be, you'd, you know, you somehow you'd improve the floor. But it wouldn't be a biblical prohibition that you would be involved in. It'd be a rabbinical prohibition. So the rabbis wouldn't mind it, but Rabbi Eliezer would, as we're going to see. So it says, Ma'ihi, uh, what's the story? Titania says, If a person, now this doesn't really relate directly to what we're talking about right now, but if somebody milks a cow, or somebody, mechabetz means to separate out like chunky pieces. Yeah, what is it called? Curds. Yeah, the curds. The curds from the, uh, from the uh, liquidy part of the cheese. Or making cheese. Kigogrot, right? Which uh, really kigogret. It's like if you make a fig's amount of cheese or or any of that, or you make a fig's amount of milk, that's considered to be a melachan shabbat. Now, that, but that's not relevant to what we're talking about right now. Yes, but we're not really relevant directly to what we're doing now. But yeah, making cheese and everything. If somebody sweeps the floor. Or merabetz means what they would do is they would put water, they would, like, dust would come into the air, you know, especially in dry climate, the dust comes, and so they would spray water so that it would settle, the dust would settle. Okay, or somebody who would remove honeycombs from the honeycomb, right, they would remove honey from the honeycombs on Shabbat, 
So bishogeg, if he did it by accident, bishabbat chayav chatat, right? If he did it by accident on Shabbat, he would have to bring a korban chatat. Dezid bi yom tov lo ketar bayim. And if he did it on purpose on yom tov, he would get makot because it's an isur deoraita. Now talking about only the last three parts, because farshim assume the first three everybody agrees you're not allowed to do. The last three, the Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Eliezer is saying that um, it is these are prohibited. Minatwa, they're biblical prohibitions to sweep, to wet the dust so that it will settle on the floor, to remove the uh, honey from the honeycomb. Okay, these are only rabbinic prohibitions. So if you did them on Shabbat, you wouldn't have to bring a korban chatat, and if you did it on Yom Tov, you wouldn't have to get hit for it because it's it's only rabbinic. Now the Tosafot goes to a great pains to explain what exactly the issue is here, but it seems to be that the uh, Rabbi Eliezer is interpreting the uh, uh, sweeping and and wetting the uh, dust as the intent of the person is that they would like it to flatten the floor, like that's part of the idea. They wanted to, if there are gumot, if there are holes. That and, and things like that and gaps on the floor they want the d- dust to be filled and the Chachamim say no that's not really the intent of sweeping you just want to you want to get things out of the way but you're not really intending to fill those holes so if it does it's not really considered a melacha um, it's only rabbinically prohibited to sweep a dirt floor because you might end up doing something like that okay now what's the point so so to hear Rabbi Eliezer would say doing this drainage process on Erev Pesach that falls on Shabbat would be bad because you, what you're doing is you're basically going to smooth out the floor if there are any gaps or any holes in the floor, you're going to end up smoothing them out, and that would not be allowed on Shabbat. So therefore, he's against the idea of doing that on Shabbat. You know, the truth is that you don't have to go that far to find Rabbi Eliezer. And by the way, removing the chalot dvash, it's interesting, I say that because why, why is removing the honey from honeycomb? Because it brings the pasuk, that it, it calls it in, uh, in the book of Shmuel, it, the, um, it, the, uh, the honey is called Yarat Hadvash. And it's like, it's like a forest, right? So the, uh, it uses the term for forest and it says, oh, it's just like uprooting a tree is not allowed on Shabbat. It's also not allowed to uproot the honey from its natural place. Okay, that's what Rabbi Eliezer said. But anyway, the Gemara says that even Rabbi Eliezer, even the Chachamim might agree that you shouldn't wash out the floor of the Beit HaMikdash because Rabbi Natani, as Rabbi Natan said, Rabbi Natan Omer, because the fact is that they didn't need to clean the floor. Why do they need to clean the floor on Shabbat? In other words, when, there's a, when, when do we say that you're allowed to violate a rabbinic prohibition in the Beit HaMikdash when it's necessary, when they needed it for some aspect of the service and it was something bad, but just to clean up when you're done, I'll do it another time. You don't have to clean up right now. Right? You don't have to clean up this moment. It's not an emergency to clean up. So it's, it's not necessary. So it's, therefore, even if it's a rabbinic prohibition, it wouldn't be allowed. So if you need to violate a rabbinic prohibition, let's say to play music during the, uh, re, during the singing uh, uh, in the Beit HaMikdash, that's a mitzvah, so you're allowed to do it. But, if you, but to do something that's unnecessary, cleaning up afterwards, wouldn't be, uh, that was Shiloh Berzon Chachamim, that they cleaned the floor at the end. And then Rabbi Yudah had said that they would take one cup and all the blood that had, co- that had co- collected on the ground because they closed the drain, right? So the, all the blood that collected on the bottom, they would, t- he would take one cup of it and throw it on the altar. What, what good is doing that? Right? So the rabbi said, why are you doing that? He said, just in case, you know, some blood of one of these korbanot fell and it didn't make it to the mizbeach, I'm just going to take a scoop and throw it on the mizbeach. It will represent all the people that they didn't make it. Right? So now it says, Amrullah Rabbi Yehudah, Halo, Lo, Nit, Kabel, Bikli. 
Had it, but it wasn't received in a vessel. In other words, in order to, uh, halachically, if you have a korban and the blood spills all over the floor, you can't collect the blood afterwards and put it on the mizbeach. Only if you initially caught it in the kli can you do it. So what good is it that you're picking it up off the floor? So the Gemara says, yate, how did they know that it spilled on the floor? Maybe, maybe is that not true? They said that maybe the blood that you're picking up off the floor was not originally caught in a vessel and so that so it's invalid anyway why are you th- why are you going and throwing invalid blood he said no i'm talking about some blood that was received in the vessel and it might have spilled because you know they're doing this whole assembly line thing it's easy to imagine that they probably spilled some on the floor and i just want to make sure everybody's korban gets there so minayada again he a- they asked how does he know that the blood on the floor was caught in a vessel because the, the kohanim are very careful and they do everything exactly right, right? There's Rizim, and therefore they would have caught it in the, in the vessel. But then the question is, and he's Rizim, am I Mishtapech? Okay, if they're so good, why are they spilling things on the floor then? You know, that's not so good. So the answer is, Agav's Rizutayu Da'avdei Mishtapech. Because the fact is that they're in a rush, and when you're in a rush, sometimes efficiency can lead to uh, certain errors, because you're moving so quickly, you're moving so fast, and uh, something will spill. So I just wanted to make sure that everyone's korban reaches the Mizbech. I'm just taking a little scoop there. And that was how he understood why they left the drain open. They left and closed, I mean, so that it would, so that this blood would all be there. You could take it and throw it. But then the Gemara asked, Lo dam tamtzit moravbo. But not. But what blood do you throw on the mizbeach? You throw the blood that comes out from the initial spurts of blood after the shechita. You don't use the blood that dri- dribbles out after that. The right dama tamtzit is the blood that flows out after the initial spurts of blood. But the blood shanevish. It says that the blood shanevish yotzedpo. The blood that the that that the uh, the soul leaves the animal is the only one that you can use. So and on the floor, it's not just the blood of the uh, uh, the original blood that came out. It's a lot of different blood. It's dama tamtzit. So it says no, that's okay because Rabbi Yehuda letame damar dama tamtzit dama aliyahu. He thinks that that blood is also just as good as blood. The Tanya dama tamtzit bazarah. The Chachamim said dama tamtzit. It's only a lota say you're not supposed to eat blood. But uh, but uh, Rabbi Yehuda Omer beikaret. We actually learned about this um, not long ago uh, in in uh, Masachet Kretot that there's a machloket about eating blood. Right, eating blood. Obviously, you're not allowed to do it. But the question is, do you get karet for eating any blood of an animal, or you only get karet for eating the blood that's the initial blood that came out? Right? Yeah. So the, he's saying that the Chachamim say all the blood is prohibited, but karet is only on the original, the, the first spurt of the blood, and. Uh, and, and, and Rabbi Yudah says, no, it's all the same. It's all the same. So he says, it's all the same. So whatever's on the ground, you pick it up, we throw it on the Mizbeach, no problem. But that's not going to work. Because, but that doesn't work. Because even Rabbi Yudah, who says that the prohibition of eating blood applies to all blood, including both blood that came out initially and the blood that came out afterwards, even he agrees that for throwing on the Mizbeach, you can only have the initial blood. Because, because it says the blood of the soul is the one that provides kapara, that provides the atonement. So that only works with that blood. So how can he excuse you and allow you to use invalid blood, throw it on the Mizbeach? So what's the answer? Says, and, 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 and actually continues, Dam that, that means that only the blood through which the soul exits is the blood that we use for kapara. So that means that even Rabbi Yehuda, who might include all forms of blood in the prohibition of eating blood, doesn't include all forms of blood when it comes to throwing on the Mizbeach. So that won't work. So then how is he telling you to throw random blood on the Mizbeach? Ela Rabbi Yehuda letame damar en dam dam. 
The real point is that Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda holds en dam dam, meaning that since these are all mixed together, right? That and in it is both what's called dam atamtzit, the secondary blood, as well as dam hanefesh, the primary blood. It doesn't become nullified; it all becomes one entity, and therefore he's allowed to. We wouldn't say, "Oh, well, the dam hanefesh is nullified in this dam of atamtzit." Uh, we say it's all one thing. So as she says that hilkach lo batil haud ishtapech ubechol porta de mate minela mizbech zrikau mitkasher. Since they all form one entity, they all have that quality of. Uh, having uh, of being considered dama nefesh because since there's dama nefesh in it and the dama nefesh is not going to become batel, it's not going to be nullified. So therefore, the whole thing is considered dama nefesh, and we can throw it on the mizbech, and it won't be a problem. And we see that actually, that's what he says that in Masachet Zvachim that en dami batel dam that it, it'll be okay. So that's why he allowed you to do it. Now, Tani will end in a right. According to you guys, that you don't agree with my great idea about taking a cup of blood and throwing it on the mizbech at the end of the day. So why are you closing the drains? So the blood rises up. Let it go out. Why do, you, why do you want to make such a mess on the floor? For what reason? I have a reason. I say we're doing that so that there's some blood here that probably didn't make it to the Mizbeach and we're going to make it to get to the Mizbeach by throwing a cup of it. And it all becomes one thing because it doesn't become Batel. So we're going to throw it and it's going to work. But you guys, why do you do it? So I'm It's a praise for the Kohanim that they walk up to their ankles in blood. Right? It's a it, meaning that they're doing this mitzvah, so they're so dedicated that they're walking around in the blood. What about the fact of chatzitza? Just like there's chatzitza, when you go to the mikveh, you can't have anything on your body that blocks between the water and your body. There's also halacha that the kohanim cannot have any chatzitza between their feet and the ground of the, of the Bet HaMikdash. Their feet have to touch the ground. That's why they don't wear shoes. They don't wear socks. Right? They have to, their feet have to touch the ground of the, uh, of the Bet HaMikdash. Is right? stone ground? Or the stone ground. ground. It's made of stone. Stone ground. It's, yeah, it's made of stone. No, no dirt. It's made of stone. It's made of stone. So, yeah. So, they, they have, they have to, their feet have to touch it. So, what, so, the thing is, so having that blood on their feet is going to be an interruption between the feet and the other. So, it says, no, because... That's it says lachu venochotzeh. It's it's liquid, so it doesn't really make a chatzitzak. Now this is of course talking about going to the mikveh. It's not talking specifically about um, the bet hamikdash, but the same concept. Hadam v'adio. If a person has blood, ink, v'chalav, milk, v'advash, honey, yeveshim chotzitzin. If it dries up, it becomes cr- crusty. So then it's a chatzitzak. But lachinen chotzitzin. But if it's wet, it's not. It's not chotzitz. It's okay. What about the fact that they're getting their clothes dirty? And we know that their moms are going to be very unhappy about that, <laughs> right? But besides that, right? Even without that, what are they going to do? They're bigadim, and we know that they're not supposed to be doing avodah. And vitanya, we learned in a bright that should say vitanya. Hayu bigadav mitushtashin. If a if a kohen is there with nebish clothing, I don't know what a better term is. You know, the clothing looks bad. Right? So then, va'avad avodato psula. Right? So definitely, if, if the clothing of mitutash, it means like torn, ragged, it's like, you know, he never, he didn't fix it up, he didn't maintain his big day he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't take care of it, you know, he's got the, he has a stain, you know, <laughs> dri- down from his lunch, you know, and whatever. He says, it doesn't look good. So it's not good. So how could you have blood all over the bigadim? 
So it says, uh, oh, it must be vechite madlu lehu Maybe you'll say they pull up the bottom because remember it hung down. Yeah, yeah. It was almost like a dress, you know, it's like a like a robe. So they would so they, they would pull up the bottom so that it didn't touch the ground. It says that won't work either because veatandia mido vad. It says that he has to wear mido kemidato, right? Really, it's talking about the garment itself. Midova, that it's the uh, that's the garment. It's the tunic of. Uh, of uh, of linen, but what it means is it says kemidato. It has to be like midato, meaning it has to fit correctly. You can't pull up. You can't hike it up. Okay, It can't be longer and it can't be shorter. It has to fit him perfectly. It has to be tailored custom. to him, custom tailored, and it has to not pull. You don't pull it up. You don't drag it down, right? So therefore, it, w- it won't work either. So what are we going to do? So the how are the kohanim not going to get their their clothing dirty? So it says, uh, well, it must be then, right? That When did they get their feet dirty in the blood? Only when they were bringing Evarim, only when they were bringing the parts of the Korban to the, uh, to the ramp. That wasn't really an Avodah. Only the placing of it on the fire was an Avodah, but bringing it over to the ramp was not an Avodah. So that they were allowed to, they were allowed to hike up their, 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 their big day kehuna when they were doing that. So they would not have to get dirty. It's going to explain the rest of the Avodah, how they did that. But how, so that's what they must have done. But then it says, but wait a second. But uh, that so, but first of all, that's not true. Velo is it not an avodah? The fact that a kohen has to do it means that it is one of the parts of the avodah, and therefore they should have to wear their, their bigadim properly. The pasuk says that the kohen has to bring the parts of the korban to the ramp, and that means right. It says he brings everything to the mizbeach, and that means bringing it to the ramp. So that means that it is part of the avodah. Maybe maybe when can they pull up the bottom of their big day kohen so they won't get dirty? That's going to only be when they bring wood. To the uh, to the mizbeach avodahi, right? So that would be it's not considered an avodah. But the problem is that shows you a case where they they're allowed to get dirty, right? Meaning they're allowed to put their feet in the blood, and they're because they're going to pull up the bottom of their clothing, so the clothing won't get dirty, right? But there's only one problem. That's only one thing where they're allowed to get their feet dirty. Then what about the rest of the time? What they're doing? So it says ah. So what about? Well, I guess they used one, or maybe they would pin it. Or I, I don't know how they did it. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know how they. I was wondering that also. I'm not exactly sure how they would do it with uh, with uh, without using their hands, but somehow they did it. Right? They folded it somehow. They rolled it up. Maybe they rolled it up. Maybe on the top. I'm not sure. But in any case, um, uh, the the still the question is that works for one thing, right? But what about when they have to go bring blood to the Mizbeach, when they have to go uh, bring the limbs to the Mizbeach, uh, how do they do that? So it says, how are they going to go? Right? So it says, they had stands that they could step on that were elevated. So they had, see, in other words, they had to step on something that was the floor of the, of the, of the Beit HaMikdash. They weren't allowed to ever have anything in between them and the Beit HaMikdash, not even somebody else's foot. Not even any, any item could be between their feet and the, and the floor, but they had certain elevated parts of the, that they could walk from one to one. You know, that they would walk from one to one, that they would be above the bottom where the blood collected. And that's what they would do when they had to do an actual part of the Avodah so they wouldn't step in the blood because they weren't allowed to get the blood onto their clothing. And then when they did something that was not a real part of the Avodah, such as 
carrying the wood to the Mizbech, then they would hike up the bottom of their Big Day Kiona and walk in the blood on purpose to show, you know, their devotion, dedication, that they're putting their feet in the blood. It's a, it's a kavod. Okay, but the rest of the time, they would walk on these elevated things. But the elevated things were actually part of the floor because if they were not part of the floor, they wouldn't be able to step on them uh, while doing that vodah because you have to be, your feet have to be touching what's considered the ritzpah. The actual, yeah. They, they were actually... in part of it. They weren't like uh, temporary like things that they put there. They were always there and that's how they would do it. And now it says uh, that, that the person, so we know that we, we learned about we talked about how they would um, remove the body parts of the uh, uh, and they would put it into like a bowl to put it onto the Mizbech. In other words, the person who brought his Korban Pesach, he would skin it and do all that. And then he would deliver the parts that are supposed to go to the Mizbech. He would put them into a bowl and, and, and they would be placed on the Mizbech by the Kohen. So it says, It sounds like it's saying that the owner himself puts it on the Mizbech. It means that he didn't do it himself, but it means that the, the, uh, that he, meaning that he would hand it to the person. Rashi says, in other words, he would wait for the person who was actually going to take it there to take it there. So he himself didn't go do it. It doesn't mean that the owner is able to put his own korban on the, uh, on the Mizbech. Obviously, he's not only a Kohen is allowed to do that, but he would put it into the bowl and wait for the Kohen to come. And then it said, Then the, uh, the first group would leave, and we learned that when it was Shabbat, they had to actually hang out there until the end of Shabbat. So the first group would hang out on the, uh, uh, on the Harabayit, and the second group right outside the Beit HaMikdash, and the third group had to sit in the courtyard until the day was over, until Shabbat was over, they could go home to cook their Korban Pesach. It said, What they would do was they would use the skin of the Korban Pesach as a backpack, as a sack. So that after they skinned it, they would, they would put the meat inside it, inside the skin, and they would hold it over their uh, shoulder like this, and they would carry it home. That was how they brought it home. Rav Eilish said, Tayot. They did this in the way of the Arab merchants. He says, That this was the way that the Arab merchants would carry their wares over their back in a, in a sack. So they would make a sack out of the, uh, out of the skin of the Korban Pesach and use that to transport it home. Now, if it was a weekday, if, if, uh, if Pesach fell, Arab Pesach fell on a weekday, they could go home right after the Korban Pesach was done and start, uh, they, and, and start uh, roasting it up right away. If they had to wait till the end of Shabbat, then they would do it when Shabbat was over, and they would. And of course, on those years, the the, the said they would have to start a little bit later because it would be uh, there were certain things they could they couldn't roast the korban pesach until Shabbat was over, and they would have to uh, they would have to just start the process then, like it is this year, I believe. Yeah. Okay, and hadran alach tamid nishchat and bezod Hashem. So, and we'll start the next parak tomorrow.